So if you have got a Bible, um, you may want to be turning to Matthew and chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you and you would like to borrow one, we do have a few spare. So just raise your hand and uh, Ellie and Jody. <laughs> My eyesight's getting worse. Uh, we'll hand them out. And the words will appear uh, on the screen behind me as well of the, of the key passage. So a number of ways that you can follow the passage. We've been looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount when I've been preaching um, over the last year and a half or so. And uh, we're up to chapter 6. We're up to the Lord's Prayer. Um, So the Lord's Prayer comes in the middle of a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching his disciples about not doing things for show so that people will think well of you. So he's looking at about giving to the needy and don't give just to sort of look good. Um, that's not a good motivation to do it. Praying, don't just pray and stand in the street corners uh, and pray loudly and babble on and say the same thing over and over again to look impressive to people so that they think you're holy. And the same with fasting as well. And in the middle of this section... Um, Jesus actually takes a slight diversion and talks a little bit more about prayer. And this is where the Lord's Prayer comes. So we're going to read from verse 5 um, through to verse 15 of Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully you've all found that now. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this is probably one of the best-known passages in the Bible, if not the best-known. I would say it's certainly one of the most repeated passages in the Bible. This little prayer that Jesus uh, prays here, the Lord's Prayer, has come to be known as. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the context of this, the setting where Jesus says it, is he's just been talking about, you know, don't pray and just uh, babble on, don't just keep, have meaningless repetition. And um, this is probably the prayer um, that has been repeated the most often. And I would say often... It's repeated in a meaningless way. Um, I, I'm not saying everyone who p- prays the Lord's Prayer is praying it meaninglessly. Um, obviously, that isn't the case. Although I know that when I was a child, this was a prayer that I was taught by my, my parents. But they, they didn't really explain it to me. So I just prayed it every night. Our oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be. It was kind of a, I rattled through it. But it didn't mean a lot to me. I didn't really understand what it meant. Um, Now, Jesus isn't saying, don't pray this prayer uh, as it is. Actually, if you look in Luke 11, um, this prayer comes again. 
And uh, it seems as though Jesus is saying these are the words to pray. In Luke 11, uh, he actually says, in response to his disciples saying, teach us to pray, he says to them, when you pray, say, and then comes the Lord's Prayer. So in one sense, you could say, well, it's okay to pray those exact words, that that's okay. We can, we can come to a meeting and we'll pray those exact words. Now, we don't tend to do that in, this, uh, in, in our context. We, I don't think there's ever been a meeting where we've prayed the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps at a wedding, it comes, sometimes gets prayed, doesn't it? But what Jesus is saying here, and it certainly comes out in Matthew's Gospel, as Matthew is um, portraying what Jesus was teaching, it's, it's more that this is how you pray. This is the kind of thing that you ought to be praying about. This is what your focus should be on. Not on just kind of empty words, not just babbling on, not just praying about all sorts, whatever might come into your head. He's saying, no, actually, there's a bit of a, of a way to pray. There's a, not a formula as much, but just a, almost a pattern that we can um, use to help us in praying to God. And um, as we look at this prayer, we see that actually it's, it can be broken down into two halves. And both of those halves, each of those halves, are kind of in three sections. So if you look at, if you look at it, you see the first section is where, where you pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that's one, your kingdom come and your will be done. That first section is focused very much on God. On God the Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three parts, all focusing on God. The second section is focusing more on ourselves. So then it goes, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So three sections, three um, petitions, three prayers almost, that you can pray regarding ourselves. And so today, we're going to look at the first half of the prayer, the part focusing on God. And next week, we're going to look at the second half, the part of the prayer which mainly focuses on us. John Piper says, the first half feels majestic and lofty, and the second half feels mundane and lowly. So you're looking forward to next week when we're going to be mundane and lowly. But never mind, today we're going to be focusing on the majestic and lofty. Yeah, we're going to be looking at that part. There's a reason. Jesus does this for a reason. It's a good way to pray. It's a great way to start by praying, focusing on God, on God the Father. You know, so often we can come, can't we? And we can come to God with, with issues that are going on in our life. We can be very aware of circumstances, worries, anxieties. Oh, how, how are we going to cope with this pr- trouble in the day? We've got this problem. Oh, the kids are playing up. Oh, I need to come to God. And we can come straight to God. And we can say, God, God, will you, will you sort this situation out? God, will you heal me? God, will you help me? I'm just struggling in my life. I'm tempted all over the place. I'm struggling in this, in this way and that. God, will you provide for me? But Jesus is saying, no, don't come to God straight away just with the things on our hearts. Let's look to see who God is. Let's lift our eyes away from the lowly and the mundane. And let's look at our heavenly father. Let's look and exalt him. Let's see who he is. Because actually, as we look to God, our perspective changes. 
we don't start to see, th- we don't see things in the same way that we did see them. So the prayer starts, our Father in heaven. And it's worth noticing, even right from the start, that it doesn't say, my Father in heaven. Jesus isn't saying, go and pray, my Father in heaven. He's saying, pray, our Father in heaven. And Jesus was speaking to his disciples here. And he's, he's not thinking that this is a prayer that we just pray on our own. It's not just, praying isn't just between us and God. Prayer is as much of a corporate activity, an activity to do with others in the church that we join together and pray as it, as it is an individual activity. Now, some people would say, well, I, I don't agree with that. In fact, they'd say, look at what Jesus says even a few verses before. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He's not saying, go into your room and take the church with you and close the door and then pray to your Heavenly Father. He's saying, go in and and pray on your own. So, that's the way that Jesus is teaching us. We shouldn't be praying with other people. Prayer is just an activity between us and God. That's what some people might argue. Prayer is just a solo activity. But that's not true. You see, when Jesus was, was saying that, he was addressing an issue, which was that people were going and they were praying to be seen to be praying. They were showing off, really. They were spiritually showing off, spiritual show-offs. They were standing on street corners and they were praying out so that people would walk past and think, oh, aren't they holy people? Aren't they spiritual people? Aren't they godly people? So they'd be thought well of. And we looked at this last time we were looking at this passage. And, and Jesus is saying, no, being praying, praying to our heavenly Father isn't something that we're doing so that we get credit from other people. In fact, if you're tempted to do that, just go and, and shut yourself away because it's between you and God. God will reward you. He's addressing a totally different issue. He's not saying, don't meet together to pray. In fact, Jesus did pray with his disciples. He encouraged his disciples to pray together for him. They didn't do, always do a great job of it. Sometimes they fell asleep. We may um, also have that experience uh, from time to time when we gather together to pray. Maybe one or two have fallen asleep in our prayer meetings before now. Um, I have as well. Um, <laughs> but not this week. <laughs> he's, he's saying it's okay to pray together. There's no point in praying this prayer which says, Our Father, give us today, lead us not into temptation, if we're praying on our own. It doesn't make sense. It's contradictory, unless you're the queen. Because she does pray in the third person, presumably. (laughs) She speaks in the third person. John, (laughs) when the church gathered together, They prayed. They prayed together to God. John Piper is very helpful here again. He says this, I wonder if we should expect our prayer life to advance in maturity and depth and intensity if we never pray with others who can lift us higher and take us deeper. Wouldn't that be like expecting a young person to become a gifted conversationalist but always sending them away to play by themselves whenever there's a serious conversation going on? He says, the more earnestly we pray in solitude on our own, 
the more powerfully we will pray in a group. And the more intense the prayer of the group, the more we'll be helped to go hard after God in private. They work together. We can't just come to God when we meet together at a prayer meeting or a core group, and that be the total extent of our prayer. There's nothing else there. It's just we're just carried along by the group. What, what John Piper's pointing out is as we pray on our own, as we get before God, that helps us when we come together. And as we come together with others who have been praying on their own before God, they'll spur us on. They'll stir us up. We'll be catching something. Oh, that's, you know, you, you can be impressed. Even though it's to God, we can be impressed by how someone prays. Not because not they're showing off, not because they're wanting to be impressive, but we can think, oh, God, lead me to that depth of prayer. When I hear Terry Virgo pray, sometimes go to uh, prayer and fasting with New Frontiers, or sometimes I've heard him at, at things like places like North, where many of us will be going uh, this this autumn, uh, this this August. Sorry, um, and we can hear Terry Virgo praying out. Sometimes when I hear him, I think, "Oh God, I want to pray like that." He prays like that because he prays like that in private before God. He gets before God and he seeks Him out. And he's diligent in it. But then when he prays in a group, it lifts the meeting. It stirs people up. Others pray off the back of it. And we exalt God all the more. Praying together is a good thing. Our Father. And then the second word, Father. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through every word. We're not going to be here. (laughs) The third word, let's look at in. (laughs) We're not going to do that. The second word, Father. Our Father in heaven. Now the word for Father here is Abba. Now again, it, it, we're not talking about the Swedish pop group. Who I don't think, well they're alive, so they're not in heaven. Abba in heaven. Our Father in heaven is the translation. There's been a lot of debate about how to translate this word. What's the best translation of this word, Abba? Most Bible translations would use the word Father. But among evangelicals, there's a, in certain circles, there's a growing trend to not use the word father. Because people they say, well, the word father is quite a formal word. And they say, I think the, the word Abba is, expresses more intimacy. Um, so they say, maybe daddy is a better word. Daddy might be a better word to use than Abba, than, than father, sorry. So you may have heard people praying uh, Daddy God, praying to their daddy God. Now, I would say, I can see the argument. I can see the argument that father might be a little bit, in in our context, in our society today, people think of the word father. It's a bit formal. You know, you don't get many children going up to their dads and going, Father, I've come to talk to you. Will you please play on the Wii with me? (laughs) what our kids say to me, but not the father bit. <laughs> daddy, daddy, will you play on the way? So they're saying, no, father is a bit formal for us. Well, th- that's probably true. That's probably true. But I would say that using the word daddy to address God isn't good really at all. And, it, and it's, not, it's not that great a word to use on two counts. Firstly, the word Abba, even though it's not best summed up by father, there's probably not much of a better word that we can use. The word does convey more intimacy than 
we use for father these days. Father's a bit removed, a bit distant, a bit formal. That's true. But the word father does convey a respect for God, which daddy doesn't. So the word Abba has both. The word Abba conveys an intimacy with God, a love of God. We've come into his family, but also a respectfulness before God. Daddy doesn't necessarily have that. The Italian word Papa is probably a better one for Italians to use. (laughs) So, So if you're Italian here, please do use that word. But we're not Italian, <laughs> most of us. <laughs> I'm being so helpful this morning, aren't I? <laughs> the, word, the word, when I was preparing this, I didn't think that was funny at all. The word, the word papa is the word that children do use for their, for their dad. They do use the word papa when they're talking to dad. But papa is also the word used for the pope. And the Pope, obviously, has, is conveyed a great deal of respect by many uh, Catholic Italians. So that word kind of sums it up. But we can't really use that. So what to use? And you might think, well, if it's in between, if it's not quite daddy and it's not quite father, well, what's wrong with using the word daddy? And I would say, well, for the second reason. And it's this. When Jesus was talking to his Jewish disciples, the thought for them of calling their awesome and majestic and holy God, who actually, people didn't dare say his name or write his name. He was so thought of rightly as being untouchable. You couldn't touch God. You couldn't see God and live. People who came into an encounter with God's holiness We're we're struck down. Isaiah chapter 6, remember, where Isaiah comes into into God's presence. And he says, he comes into the presence and there were seraphs, angels with six wings. And they were calling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth's full of his glory. And the doorposts and the thresholds are shaking. And Isaiah's response is to fall on his face and say, woe to me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That was how people saw God. That was how these disciples would have known God, as awesome and majestic and totally separate from them. And when Jesus, who came himself and prayed to his Father, and that would have been a surprise to them, what? But of course, Jesus was the Son of God. He's always known the Father as Father. He's been with him before creation, forever, for all eternity. When Jesus says, and now you come to God, and this is how you pray, and you can call God Father, Abba, that would have just blown their minds. To be able to come to the awesome, majestic holy God of the universe and call him Father. They would have been very reluctant to do that. They would have found that very difficult to do. Such a privilege, such a privilege to come 
and call him Father. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 explains what a privilege it is. He says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Amazing truth that God has adopted us into his family. He's brought us into his own family, that we are brothers with Jesus. We're there. We can access God. We can come into the throne room because of the death of Jesus. We can do that. We can call him Father. Let's not lose sight of the amazing privilege that that is. How great is the love of God that we can do that? And the the disciples and the first Christian, Jewish Christians, would have been well aware of that. They would have been well aware of the privilege that that was. But I would argue that today, in 21st century Britain, in our evangelical churches, that we've lost a sense, much of a sense of that awesomeness and splendor and holiness of God. I would argue the pendulum has swung the other way. And there's increasing examples these days of irreverence before God from Christians. Christians who would just be flippant with God, be jokey with God or about God. You might find it in some popular Christian books, such as The Shack, in how they portray God the Father. You might find it in some worship songs. There's a recent worship song which has come out of America, which thankfully we don't sing here, which is describing the Son of God being born among us. And it says, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. You think, this is talking about God coming to earth. We should stand in awe of that. And to describe it in such terms in a worship song, you think we've lost that sense. We're losing that sense of awe and reverence. To approach a God so awesome as our God, like a mate, or describing it like a girlfriend or boyfriend, is just obscene and outrageous. And the early church would never have done that. They would have struggled to relate to see God as their father. We see in Acts 4, I mean, they knew they could come and talk to God as their father, but how do they address him when they pray together? Acts 4.24, they raise their voices together and say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they go on and they say, Now stretch out your hand to heal, verse 30, and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant David. They don't actually address God as father there. Now I'm sure that they did. I'm sure they were learning to do that. They'd understood what it meant to come in to be the father, to be in God's family. But that was a battle for them. You know, they would, they would probably have just said, I just don't get it. You know, some of the things that we struggle with today, I often hear Christians today say, you know, I struggle, I struggle to understand grace. I really struggle to get it. In, in, in those days, the early Christians would have, would have undoubtedly said, I'm struggling to see God as father. I'm just struggling to get it. It's, it's amazing. I see it in, 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 in what's being taught. 
But I just struggle to understand it and own it and to pray, Father, how dare I? They would have struggled with it. They would have struggled it. We have the privilege of calling God Father, but when we do so, we must do so in a humble manner. So to say Daddy God, I would argue, just isn't appropriate because of what it conveys. It just sounds twee. Martin Lloyd-Jones summed it up. He said this, We can call God Father if we are a Christian, but let's also remember what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, that we must approach God with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That's how we should hold it. We can call God Father, but we must remember to approach him in reverence and holy fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Um, holy is the good translation of hallowed. In other words, God's, when we say hallowed be your name, we're praying that God's name is seen as being holy. Now, hopefully we will see it as being holy. That's kind of just what we've been talking about. How do we see God? Do we see that, that God's name, even Father, is a holy name, that God is a holy God? Um, But we're actually doing more than that when we pray this. We're praying that others will come to see him as being holy as well. We're praying that other people will reverence him as a holy God. So I guess as we're praying in our prayer meetings and maybe privately for our city, for our nation, for our friends, that's what we're praying really. We're praying that God's name would be seen as holy. We're praying that people would come to see God as who he is. They would come to worship him for themselves as a holy God. Someone once said, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And there might be a number of reasons why we pray for people to be saved. It might be because we know them, because they're one of our family, because we love them, or because we don't want these people to suffer an eternity without God. And because we want to see society transformed. And because we want to see the church to grow and become what God wants it to be. There's any number of reasons why we might pray for our city and for our nation and our friends. But the main reason that we pray for people to be saved is so that God will be worshipped by more people. By more of his creation. They're his creation. He created us to worship him. He created us to be in relationship with him, to see him as a holy God. And that's what we're wanting others to do. We're praying that others will see his name as holy. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, that's it. We're praying, will the world come to see him as who he is? We can see a bit of that and understand it in Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, we'll read from verse 25. Um, Psalm 22 from verse 25 says, From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts lift forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go into the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. 
Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. That's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. It's to pray those things that you could pray through Psalm 22, through those verses, and say, God, let that be done. Let people bow down before you. Let people see you as who you are. That's the promise that all nations will bow before the throne of Jesus. And we can pray, Jesus, hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, let's just stick with your kingdom come for now. Your kingdom come. God's kingdom is advancing now. Since Jesus came to earth, he's been bringing about the kingdom. He announced the coming of the kingdom. People didn't always understand what he meant. They, they understood it sometimes in terms of uh, him, him bringing a, a forceful army to defeat the Roman occupiers. But actually that wasn't what he was meaning at all. He was saying God's kingdom is advancing and it's starting to come through Jesus. His reign and his rule began to spread through the world and it still is spreading and it still is advancing God's kingdom is advancing through those who know and love him. Obviously, in, in the, at the time when Jesus came, it was limited to a number of people, those who knew him. People around him who lived in Galilee and, and Israel and Jerusalem area, they were being healed. People were being uh, cleansed and set free from demons. God's kingdom was advancing, but it was in a small area. But then... Once the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and and the Christians were then scattered around the world, God's kingdom continued to advance throughout the whole of the world. And God's kingdom continues still today to advance. There are still places in the world that don't know the name of Jesus. They don't know what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. They've not seen God come in power in healing. They've not seen people being set free from things which bind them, from things which hold them captive. God's kingdom is advancing. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for the continued advance of that kingdom. We're praying for more will see who God is. And it's just a foretaste. God's kingdom will come fully and finally when Jesus returns. John sees a vision of this in Revelation 21 and verses 3 to 4. And this is what the kingdom will be like when Jesus finally returns. And he sees this. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's what the kingdom will be like. The kingdom, when it comes in its fullness, will be us, God's people, living with God, and no more sickness, and no more oppression, and no more bondage, and no more tears, and no more death. Everything will be made new. And as we pray, your kingdom come that's what we're praying. We're praying, bring your kingdom about in its fullness. Increase it, Lord. Increase it on this earth. But God, come back. Come back and let's come into the fullness of what you have got. That was a common prayer of the early church. We see it in passages like 1 Corinthians 16 and 22, 
where the church pray, Maranatha, come, O Lord. They knew what it was to pray for God's kingdom. They knew what it was to ask God, will you return now, Jesus? You've gone, you've started this off, but God, come back. Jesus, come back and return in power and bring about the fullness of your kingdom that you've promised you're going to do. Do we have that great desire that this current sin-affected world will be renewed by God? Do we want that to happen? Do we have the same eagerness today that the early church had? Let's ask ourselves that question. Let's answer it honestly. Do we want Jesus to return? Do we want Jesus to return today? Or actually, do we want to just hang around like this for a while? Are we quite happy as things are? Do we want to hang around in the kind of swamp of unrighteousness which is in the world today? How eager are we for Jesus to come right now? Or would we be sad? In some ways, would we feel, actually, if Jesus came back today, I'm missing out. No, the enemy can lie to us. The enemy can tell us these things. We can feel, oh, no, we're going to miss out. Actually, I'd really rather Jesus came after I'd been married. I want to get married before Jesus comes back. I want to have kids. I want to have grandchildren. I want to get a job. I've booked a really nice holiday. I'd love to go there first. It can get into our thinking. And we can kind of, in a way it's funny, but in a way it's not because there's always something else. And it stops us praying, come Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come fully. God, will you return? Will you return? Let's be eager to pray for that. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 tells us that we are strangers and aliens in this world. This world that we're living in, this isn't it. This isn't it. We're sojourners, strangers and aliens. He says, 1 Peter 2, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter knew what it was. Peter knew what it was to be living in a sinful world and to be tempted by it. To actually start to embrace those things. To start to like those things. To say, this isn't too bad actually. I can handle this. It'd be great when Jesus comes back one day, but as for now, I'm quite enjoying myself. No, we're strangers and aliens. It's only temporary. Speaking about holidays, it's the equivalent of of going on holiday, booking a holiday to somewhere amazing, like, I don't know, Hawaii. We've got this amazing holiday booked. We've got the promise ahead of us. And then we go to the airport to go there. And And it's like us getting to the airport and thinking, actually, this is quite interesting at this airport. There's a few... There's a few interesting shops. I think I'll go to some of these shops. Oh, look, there's a few, there's a few sort of video games. Yeah, I'll have a I'll play. Oh, there's a bit of food to eat. That's ah, not too bad here. And we're more interested 
in the airport, then where are we going? Miss the plane? It's delayed. Oh, it doesn't matter. Plane's delayed. Well, there's lots to do here. Now, that's ridiculous because we wouldn't do that. Okay, airports, they put things in to keep us occupied. But that's not what it's all about. It's about the holiday. It's about where we're going. We want to go somewhere else. We're only here for a while. We're only here while the, while the plane arrives. When the plane comes and lands, it'll, t- it'll take us somewhere else. So much better. We don't get bogged down in the airport. Well, that's where we are. This is like an airport terminal. And Jesus is going to return. And we're going to be in a far better place. In every way. Everything that we think might be good. Everything that the enemy will whisper to us and say, do you know what? Actually, it's better here than in heaven. It's more fun here than in heaven. And he'll tell us in different ways. Oh, our kids, whatever. They'll say things like, well, do you know, there's no sex in heaven. It's not going to be as much fun there. Little lies that the enemy speaks. So single people who are passionate about God are thinking, yeah, but I want to get married first. What? Everything. Everything will be so much better. Everything. We can't understand it all, but that's true. We can know that is true. So let's be eager The same way that when we get to an airport and we're thinking, we want that plane to be on time. We want to get on that plane and go. Well, we're here for a time. And until that plane has gone, until Jesus returns, we can encourage others. Come with us. Come with us. It's going to be great. You can come. But I tell you what, we're not hanging about. We're getting on that plane when it goes. We're going with Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. Let's pray it. Let's mean it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's God's will is always done. It's done by the angels. When God says, I want this to be done, the angels will do it. And we pray, God, let your will be done on earth as well. Let others know you. Let us do your will on earth. We can pray it for others, of course, but we can pray it for ourselves. We can pray that we will do God's will. If we pray that, we're committing ourselves to act in accordance with what God's will is here on the earth while we're with him. We're saying we want to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. All of the things that Jesus teaches us and that we've already looked at in the Sermon on the Mount that we know we'll struggle with and we say, well, we know, God, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. Well, we've received this spirit. But we're saying, God, I want to do that. I don't want to just say, it's too hard. I'm just going to forget that for now. No, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to live a life which is holy and pleasing to you. I want to commit myself to you. I want to give myself fully to you and all that you have for me. We don't allow ourselves to compromise. We say, God, I want to know what your will is. Your will be done. What's God's will? How do we find out what God's will is? We know the scriptures. We give ourselves to to reading and understanding and studying and, and, and wrestling with God's holy scriptures. Because that's how we know what his will is in our life. And we know that he's not just giving us a list of rules, but he's giving us the power to live it as well. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And so we come and we say, God, God, I want to live my life holy and pleasing to you. I want to, when I see you, 
when I finally get to see you face to face, I want you to say, well done. Well done. You've lived a a life which is pleasing to me. So in this first part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying to us, as we come and pray, let's lift our eyes to God. Let's lift our eyes to who he is. Let's take our eyes off our problems, our issues, our insecurities. Let's come into our heavenly Father. We've got access to to come to him. We've got his ear. He will listen to us the same way a father listens to a child. Yeah, I'm hearing you. He might not always answer the prayers that, that we've got in the way that we want in the same way that as parents we don't always do what our kids want. But actually, we'll do what's best for them. And God will do what's best for us. Let's come to this heavenly father, this holy and majestic king, whose name he wants to be made known and worshipped throughout the earth. Let's come and seek that his kingdom is extended. Let's, let's ask him to come and bring his kingdom in fully in return. Let's, let's seek him that we might live our lives that are holy and pleasing to him. And there'll be a time when we come and we pray about our needs. That comes. Jesus isn't saying only pray about God. Forget what's going on in your life. No, we'll come on to the rest of it next week. But as we look to God, actually things change. As we look to God, some of the issues and the problems that we've got disappear sometimes. Or our perspective on them changes. Again, John Piper says, you may not see it clearly now, but I testify from scriptures and from experience that there's more deliverance, more healing, more joy in the hallowing of his name than perhaps you ever dreamed. As we come to God and we hallow his name, he he begins to deal with things. He begins to change us. And that's all a byproduct. That's all a bonus A wonderful bonus which we receive as we worship and adore our mighty and glorious King, the Lord of heaven and earth, our Father. Let's pray.